the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. It's got some important lessons for us to apply to where we are at in our church history right now. I don't know if you realize that, but we've just, we're just starting a process called refocusing. And we're asking ourselves some important questions as a church family. Where have we been? Where are we now at? What are our current opportunities? What is God calling us to do? And where are we going in the future? And this past weekend, Thursday night and Saturday morning, a number of us spent some time praying and listening to each other and listening to God. And we examined where have we been as a church family. At the end of the service, Henry Pauls and some of the other members of the refocusing team will be releasing a report to you of summit number one, and it will include something called the journey wall. I don't know if you've been up in the, the gym, the multipurpose room, but up in the wall there is about a 40-foot piece of paper with all the things from our past over 100 years, kind of the, what I call the good, the bad, and the ugly of Elam, Elam Chapel, and stuff to make us rejoice and stuff that is a little more painful, but we're just trying to put it all on the wall and just be, be real and uh, be honest with ourselves and with God. God can't do anything until, with us until we're honest with Him and honest with each other. And we'll see where it goes from here. And tonight, the reason I wanted you to go home with the report today is tonight we're going to get together and we're going to read this report and we're going to pray into it and pray through it and see what God says to us. Now I realize tonight may not be convenient timing for some of us. Some of you are saying, what about the Olympics? And you're right. And I guess my response to you is, what about the Olympics? Come, use a PVR. There's nothing good on TV any, anyway tonight. Come and let's experience God together and pray into this and listen as a church family to see what God wants to say to us and where he's taking us, okay? Now, as I promised, the um, message this morning is focusing, we're starting a, a series in the book of Nehemiah and what kind of lessons we can learn from a person who was placed in um, difficult cir circumstances. God's people were really in a tough spot and how God raised someone who may not have typically volunteered for this, but God volunteered someone to be the solution to this situation. So let's start reading the, the passage together, Kate. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. How'd you like a handle like that? Hakaliah, it's kind of catchy. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity, and about how things were going in Israel. Let's just take a time out there, and I'm going to unravel what I just read, okay? Because some of you are going, uh, and others are going, oh, yeah, and some are going, oh, when's it going to be done? All right, that's, that's normal. I, I would do the same. I won't tell you which option I would pick if I was listening to me. But let me give you a, a little bit of uh, background this is about a thousand years after the time of Moses and about 400 years before the birth of Jesus. Uh, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people were really in a desperate state. 
their nation had been destroyed. First, the, the northern kingdom of Israel and then the southern kingdom of Judah had been annihilated. And the city of Jerusalem was completely conquered by the Babylonians. And even temp- Solomon's temple, glorious, beautiful building, it had been completely trashed and destroyed. When the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, they deported almost everybody. They took almost everyone with them. Um, and for some 70 years, um, Jerusalem was a ghost town with the potential to end up like a lot of ancient cities, just a pile of rubble. So when the Jews were deported to Babylon, they began to make homes for themselves there. They had no choice. They kind of saw, God told them specifically, seek the welfare of the city where you are. Plant gardens and settle down and make the best of it for this period of time. And it's interesting to see how some people were promoted into positions of authority and influence in the government. God had a hand on them. You might remember uh, stories of, of Daniel, of those three guys, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we learned about in Sunday school. Uh, young men who are promised had promise and potential were uh, drafted into the civil service of the empire. Even a young woman uh, like Esther, who is beautiful, inside and out. She's got a book written about her in the the Old Testament. a fascinating story of how God used someone like her for his purposes. So they were trying to make a best of a a bad situation in captivity in, in the Persian Empire, but they were promised that they would eventually go back to their homeland. And out of perhaps two or three million Jews who have been deported, only 50,000 decided to go back. And that's that story is contained in the book of Ezra. We have an Ezra here at Elam. Have you met him? Delightful, charming, red-headed young guy. Well, that's his story. And I asked his mom yesterday, do people, especially church people, ever ask you where he got his name? She said, yes. Read the book of Ezra. And then for my sake, will you read the book of Esther? That's my daughter's name. And it puzzles me when I get Christians saying, that's a nice name. Where'd you find it? It's in the Bible And it's a fascinating story. It's got a lot to teach us. Okay, those little tangents were free. Um, So in the days of Ezra, they rebuilt the temple, and that was good. And they laid a spiritual foundation for Israel. But there's a serious situation going on in Jerusalem. Okay, now let's continue with the passage, please, Kate. So Nehemiah is in the Persian Empire, and he sends some friends out. They come back with a report. How are things going back in Jerusalem? And this is the report was this. They said to me, things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Let's understand this, okay? To many of us, walls are not a good thing. A church with walls implies we're trying to keep people out. And we don't want to be a church with walls, necessarily. That that makes it difficult for people to come in and worship. It's interesting, just hearing some stories from Elam's history, uh, one of our current leaders um, came to read Scripture many decades ago in the service. And it was a summer day, and it was really hot, and so... That young man at the time did not wear a suit and tie to read the Bible. He just came with a pure heart and good intentions. Well, he heard about a 
later, unfortunately, one of the very respected elders of the time just raked him over the coals for not dressing appropriately on a really hot summer day to read the Bible. That's unfortunate. I kind of grew up in an atmosphere like that, and it's unfortunate that all these arbitrary walls were put up in the church to almost keep people out. Now, we don't want to be a church like that. We want to be a welcoming place. Elam is supposed to mean a place of refreshing, right? That's the original intent of the name. A place of refreshing where anybody can come in, whatever they're wearing, you know, as long as they're wearing something, whatever you're wearing, you just want to be here and experience, and let's experience God as a family, okay? So that's an unfortunate example of how a wall can be erected, perhaps not intentionally, perhaps intentionally, but anyway, that was a, that was a wall to that young man. Now, to his credit, he didn't give up the faith or leave the church or whatever, but it was just a hard experience to go through. I'm glad we're not dealing with that these days. Um, I look good in a suit and tie. I'm glad you don't expect me to. And to be honest, if you did expect me to wear a suit and tie on Sunday, I probably wouldn't anyway. But that's okay. You have your expectations. And there's nothing wrong with suit and ties. I look really good in one. And I pull them out for certain occasions. Anyway, getting back to this wall thing. The problem with the walls back then, how Nehemiah would have understood this report the city is broken down the wall of the city has been torn down the city is a mess back in that time a city's identity was it was protected by walls there didn't have the kind of law and order that we are so great uh, grateful to experience in canada People would come in, if you didn't have a wall protecting your city, anybody could come in and take anything, right? And there was no protection. And if there's no protection, there's no security. And if there's no security, you can't have growth. You can't have prosperity. You, it, it wouldn't even be worth fully restoring the temple because if you couldn't protect it, you might invest all this money in restoring the temple and all of a sudden someone could come in and raid it and... things would disappear. There was no security there, no prosperity, no well-being for the people. So when Nehemiah heard this, well, let's see how he reacts. The next. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Because Nehemiah understood the precarious situation of Jerusalem being without walls. They had tried to rebuild the walls, but they had failed. You can read about that if you read that book of Ezra that I was telling you about. But 75 years before, they had tried to rebuild the walls, but they got stopped by their enemies. There had been opposition there because no one wanted to fortify Jerusalem. Your enemies don't want you to operate from a position of strength, so they'll do anything to derail you Your spiritual enemy especially is out to get you. And if you try to operate from a position of strength in Jesus, he will do anything to derail that process and distract you. So this was a very serious situation that um, we were faced with. 
An unwalled city is almost all, always a, a backwater town with nothing valuable in it. Because, as I was saying, if there's anything of value, it would get stolen, it get ripped off. Those living in an unwalled city, they live in constant stress and tension. They never know when they might be attacked or brutalized. And every man would be living in constant fear for his wife and children. Do you know what that's like, men? To be living in constant fear for your wife and children? Can you imagine the tension in that place? And as I was saying, the temple might be rebuilt, but it could never be made fully beautiful because nothing valuable uh, would be able to be stored there. So it's no wonder that people lived in constant distress, in constant disgrace. They were living only as survivors. They were not thriving. They were just surviving. I don't think God has called us to just survive in life. Now, there are times in life when all we can be doing is surviving. And I get that. I'm a survivor of this. I'm a survivor of that. I understand that. And I am not a blab it and grab it, name it and claim it, you know, kind of preacher that says, God wants you to be rich and healthy for the rest of your life. That's a lie. And I have to be really careful of how many adjectives I put in front of that word lie because I don't want to offend anybody. But that is a horrible lie that is being preached by certain televangelists with really elaborate hairstyles. Okay? But don't listen to that garbage. Following Jesus is tough and challenging, and the only guarantee we have in life is that God loves us. We cannot be guaranteed that our circumstances will be lovely. Probably not. Generally, if we follow Jesus, we get into more trouble. Hopefully not of our own making. But just because you follow Jesus means you're going against the flow of popular culture and you encounter spiritual opposition and it's tough. But it's worth it because who else are you going to follow? Seriously, right? Who else are you going to follow? Okay, so here's the challenge. The challenge is for us to be following Jesus and listening to God like Nehemiah, okay? He's in this tough situation. These people, his people, are not thriving. They're only surviving. But God wants to be with us. He doesn't want us to just survive and just make it through life. And he wants to bless us and be with us and know his presence. And so when Nehemiah heard about the great problems that were going on in that city, his first response, and this shows you his heart, he just sat down and he wept. He didn't feel sad. He didn't write a check. He didn't say, oh gee, that's too bad. He didn't say, what a bunch of losers in Jerusalem. Man, if I was there, I could really show them something. He didn't do anything like that at all. He sat down and he wept. In fact, for days, he mourned and fasted and prayed to who? He knew who he was talking to. He was talking to the God of heaven. And here's what he said. Oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great God and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Did you ever pray like that? That's a gutsy prayer. He reminds himself of who God is as he starts praying. He knows who he's talking to. 
He's not talking to some cosmic butler who answers his every whim. He's not talking to Santa Claus. He's not talking to some big, nasty, fearsome deity. He addresses our Creator with respect and love, but with confidence as well, right? You are the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of unfailing love with those who love Him and obey His commands. See the condition there? God keeps His promise if we, when we obey Him and obey His commands. All right, next slide, please, Kate. And here's what he continues down to praying. You can learn so much about Nehemiah's heart. You can learn so much about a person as to how they pray and what they pray. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. He's persistent. He is passionate. He is committed. He keeps going. Now, this next line is fascinating. Now, what do you think of this? Is this true or not? He says, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. Now, wait a minute. If we were looking at a map, we'd see Nehemiah over in Shushan, the uh, capital, basically located in modern-day Iran. And he's talking about Jerusalem. maybe 800 miles away. So why is Nehemiah saying, I heard about this problem in Jerusalem, and I realized that we've sinned. We have really messed up. Even my own family and I, we've sinned. Does that make sense? Why is Nehemiah identifying with these people over here, 800 miles away, who have sinned and messed up? He identifies with his problem. He makes it his problem. Now, we cannot make every problem in life ours, okay? We would soon burn out. We would just spin out of control. But God sometimes will put a particular situation on our heart. When God sees a problem, he starts looking for a person. And then he changes that person, and that person changes the problem. We'll see that in Nehemiah. When God sees a problem, he starts looking for a person. Then he changes that person, and that person changes the problem. And Nehemiah's got the right attitude. He says, Lord, we have sinned terribly by not obeying your commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. That's why they were punished. That's why the the Babylonian Empire overcame the Israelites, and carried them away into captivity. They had had generations to get it right, and they continually wandered away from God. They blew it. And Nehemiah said, look, even though I wasn't alive at the time, and my family wasn't alive, you know, this is our problem. And he identifies that. Tonight, we will be working through this prayer summit and looking at some of our history, and I think we will or we should be, we'll be identifying with some of the good stuff and the hard stuff that's happened here at Elam. Now, we're not gathering to gaze into our navels and feel bad and feel shamed by what's going on. We just need, you know, we just, we put the history on the wall as much as we know, mostly focused in the last 30 years or so, and say, okay, there it is, Lord, all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly, as much as we know, let's pray into that. And if there's stuff we need to confess, let's get it off our chest, let's make it clear, let's move on. 
there are things we need to be thankful for. We can rejoice and move on. That's where Nehemiah was at. <coughs> he realized that he was identifying with people and saying, we need to make this right. Then he says, Lord, I knew we broke your covenant. Then he goes on and says, now, Lord, please remember what you told your servant Moses. When you pray, do you ever remind God of his promises? It's okay to do that. Nehemiah says that. God wants us to do that. I don't know if you've ever been a parent of a young child and you make them a promise. You know, if you do such and such, we'll go to that place with a big golden M or whatever. It's amazing how kids can recognize logos before they can read, right? My son knew what Tim Horton said even before he went to school. Um, maybe a bad influence from his father. I don't know. But anyway, um, when you and a child wears down their parents, you promised, you promised, you promised. God, our Father, wants us to do that. He wants us to say, Lord, you promised. This is in your word. And here's what Nehemiah is saying. You know, remember what you told your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But, but, if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. God says, all right, this has gone on long enough. I'm waiting for someone to claim my promises, take them seriously, and lead people back to where they started so my name can be made great. So the time of discipline is just about over, and that's good. Whew. Times of discipline from God are tough, and hopefully they drive us to be closer to him. That's the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. He's reminding God, there are people who are obeying here, Lord. There are people who are living properly. Then he goes on to say, and this is such a gutsy prayer, please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cup bearer. I'll explain all this in a minute. Nehemiah was the king's cup bearer. Back then, basically, you'd be the equivalent of the king's head of security. People were always trying to bump off the potentate of the time. Common way to do that would be to slip some poison into the king's wine, right? So, you had to make sure that it was screened properly. How would you like this job? Well, there are some perks to this job. You get to pay, taste the best wine in the kingdom. Uh, on the other hand, it might kill you. But what a way to go, you know? So that was Nehemiah's job, to make sure that the king was safe. Can you imagine how much trust would you have to place in the cupbearer if you were the king? Absolutely, absolutely trusted. Boy, I hope each of us has somebody in our life like that that we can absolutely trust. Now, people aren't perfect. They let us down. We let other people, we let other people down ourselves. But how wonderful to know somebody else, some other human being on this planet has your back. 
Nehemiah's job was to have the king's back. He was so trusted. But he knew that sooner or later, he was going to have to talk to the king about this situation in Jerusalem. And God was putting in his heart to do this. And that was going to be really tough. Because you don't go into the king and just sort of waltz into the king's presence and say, King, how's it going? The uh, Shiraz is very good today. And uh, by the way, um, I'm wondering if I could have a few gazillion dollars to go back and build my hometown. We'll get into that more next week about how the interaction worked out with the king. Basically, the king had the power of life and death, and it could happen that quickly. Boom. You know, if the king wasn't happy, if the king ain't happy, ain't nobody happy in the kingdom, okay? And if he was displeased with his cupbearer, well... I can get another cupbearer, you know, within five minutes. There's a lineup for your job, Nehemiah. So there wasn't a whole lot of job security. Nehemiah's only job security really came from God. That's where his ultimate security came. We can see that in his prayer. It says, Lord, please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Are you dealing with someone in authority in your life? without trying to manipulate them or manipulate circumstances, here's a good way to pray. Lord, please grant me success today by making, fill in the blank, favorable to me. Put it into his or her heart to be kind to me. Not to manipulate those in authority over you, but to say, Lord, if you've got me in this situation and you want to do something through me, then I pray that they would be favorable to me. Not for my sake, but so you get the credit for this. Keep that in mind. So here's this man, Nehemiah. We knew he was in, he had a good job. In spite of all the, you know, challenges, it was a very responsible position, okay? But he was wise enough to know that God had put him there for a purpose. Incredible. He has such a good perspective. By the way, here's a little, I'll let you in on a little news item. I'm hoping that later this spring, our police chief, Devon Clunas, will be able to preach here at Elam because he's an example of a Nehemiah-type person. God has put him in that role as chief of the Winnipeg Police Service for a purpose. And not to make Winnipeg a Christian city. That's not in his power. It's not in the power of any of us. But just to be a godly influence where he is. Now, that's an example to me of a modern-day Nehemiah who also says, I'm here for a purpose, and it's not just to get a big salary and a good pension and to be really important and boss people around, but to serve. Chief Clunas says the role of the Winnipeg Police Service is to serve and protect the city of Winnipeg. To serve. To me, he's a true example of what a civil servant should be. He puts the serve back in civil servant. So be praying for him. Let's be praying for him as well. So here's the story of Nehemiah. Here's this tension. Next week we're going to see how it works out. But he gets this bad news from his homeland. He identifies with the sin of his people. He said, Lord, we are in this together. And he goes to God and prays and fasts for a long, long period of time. And he says, you know what? I'm putting all my personal and job security on the line. Lord, please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. 
When God sees a problem, he goes looking for a person. And he changes that person so that person can change the problem. Now, what do we do with this? Today, this evening, we're going to be looking, starting to look at our situation as a church family. There's going to be some positive things and some painful things. But God is saying to each one of us, each of us can be leaders in our own right, influencers in our own right. And we have that opportunity to say, okay, Lord, what are you calling me to do? What are you calling my family to do in this situation? What have you got for us here? So let me encourage you to come tonight. And if you're unable to come tonight, grab one of those uh, reports and pray through it and ask questions. Doug's got some. We're going to be giving them out. Um, Where's the strategic place, Doug? Okay, at the end of the service, we're going to distribute these, okay? Please take it home and pray for it, one per household. And uh, come on back. We'll have copies tonight. We're going to read through it and pray through it and just see what God is saying to us as a church family. All right? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the courage of people like Nehemiah and people like Devon Clunas and other people who step up and just want to be used by you. Lord, we know that you have called us here together for this time, for this purpose. And I ask that you would bless Elam for the sake of your reputation, not ours. We don't care about getting our name up in lights or whatever. We want you to be lifted up and glorified. This is your church. So tonight, as we work through this process and pray, I pray that your Holy Spirit will come, will meet in a spirit of humility, and that you can do something with us. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for being a God who keeps your promises. Help us to be faithful in keeping our end of the bargain. We commit all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.